0: And that forming that brand out of their authentic selves is the best strategy for success in dentistry today.
1: So today I wanted to talk about what's happening with Delta Dental and how you can evaluate your practice to make decisions about what insurance companies you should keep and what insurance companies you should get rid of.
0: Yeah, it seems like um, there's been a lot, a lot of different sentiment out there uh, regarding the news. Um, what are some of the things you've been hearing
1: Well, I'm hearing a a very big emotional response. Uh, I think a lot of people got a letter that says that the fees are going to be reduced. And that's pretty scary, especially when you're looking at 2020. And there's a lot of things that we're going to have to pay out. There's a lot of new regulations, too. So it's, it's a scary thing. I understand.
0: And we're wanting to share this right now because the last thing you want people to do is to act emotionally.
1: You never want to make a business decision emotionally and I'm going to quote my husband here, never let your ego get in the way of your wallet. (laughs) And it's true. So you can't just turn around and drop somebody without at least analyzing your practice and seeing the impact. Either way.
0: So what are some of the, like, what's a good starting point?
1: So the first thing I always think that people should look at is their active patient list. And a lot of us don't go through that list. And so we think we have an active patience of, say 2,000 people, and I'm just going to use nice round numbers because of the math. So we think we have an active patient base of 2,000 people. But if you really go through, you don't. You haven't seen that many people in the last two years. And that's really who's your active patients. So I always encourage you just every couple months to do a chart audit where you go through every single patient and see if they're still a part of your practice. And if not, inactivate them.
0: So they still stay in the software. It's just that they don't show up on an active report?
1: Well, you want to inactivate them so that you're not sending them messages. You're not asking them to come in for recall. If they've left your practice or they've died or if they've moved somewhere else, they shouldn't be part of your active patient list. Okay. And and we're not always good about that. So I'm going to highly encourage everyone to go through and audit your charts just every three months just because it's such a good business practice.
0: So what is the report called that you're referencing?
1: So the report that I pull is called the patient master. In EagleSoft. you go into reports and you go under patients and it'll be patient master. So you'll pull a patient master and it'll give you the opportunity to put in last visit. So put in two years from today and then today's date. And then you'll ask for the report and it's going to be a big report. It's going to give you every single patient you saw in the last two years.
0: So then you're done?
1: <laughs> well, it'll give you an active patient number. Okay. How many people have you seen in the last two years? And let's go easy, just a thousand people, because that, the math will be easy. Yeah. So let's say you have a thousand patients that are active in your practice. The next thing you want to do is you want to find out how many of these patients have the insurance company that you're considering getting rid of. So then you go to your reports again. And you're going to pull up patients, and now you're going to pull up patients by insurance company. You'll have the opportunity to put in the insurance company. Don't. Just put in your uh, last date of service two years ago and then today and have the whole report, which might be 40 pages. You just never know. It's, It's a big report. Okay, wow. And the reason you're not going to just put in Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona is because that's only going to give you Blue Cross Blue Shield of Arizona. But Blue Cross Blue Shield might have you might have patients from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama or New York. So you've got to have all of that data before you can make a decision, not just one state.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
1: So once you pull that report, then you're going to have to hand count every single one. And if I was talking about Blue Cross, then I would go through and look at every one of Blue Cross. If I was talking about Assurant, I'd go through every single one of, of Assurant and see how many patients actually have that insurance that I have seen in the last two years. So once you have that number, then you can just divide. So let's say there's 300 patients with this insurance out of 1,000. So 30% of your practice is this particular insurance. That would be a big deal. That would be you really need to consider before you start dropping that. If you find that there's 50 people out of 1,000, I still want you to do a little more research, but that's looking more like you can just sign the papers. It'll be okay.
0: So from a high level, you're saying... Um, 30% is a pretty big deal.
1: That's a lot of people in your practice.
0: Yeah, and and to act like that's not going to have some significant difference on the bottom line, I guess, it would be naive. Um, whereas something like 5%, you're saying right off the bat, at a high level, it's a, it's going to be a lot more manageable.
1: It's a lot more manageable,
0: yeah. So what would be the next step to go a little deeper into the numbers?
1: So then you want to know who are these patients that have this insurance? And I go through and look at their employers. So there's, um, yeah, so there's another report you can pull, Patients by Employers. So go through, pull that report again from um, reports, and then you get to look at it and decide, well, who are these 50 people that have this insurance? If these 50 people brought you $150,000 worth of production out of your $600,000 that you made last year, well, that might be important. <laughs> you may want to consider that. If
0: Because it, it'd be like 5% of your patient base, but 25% of your production.
1: Exactly. You've got to look at that and consider it. If um, they all work for Google and they're all 25 and they only come in for cleanings, well, then you're going to find that that amount of money is not a very big amount of money.
0: So then it could be the opposite. You have 300 maybe patients working for Google that account for maybe 5% of the production. Right. So the percentage of production seems like the more telling Number.
1: Right. But it's getting to that number. It's mm-hmm. figuring all this out. So you know what percentage of your practice has this insurance, who they work for, and then what percentage of those people, how old are they? And how often are they coming in? And you're, you're going to have to look at every one of these people and see. But if you have retired people of America, don't drop that insurance.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Right. <laughs> so once you do that, then there's going to be an emotional piece for you. And and that I think is what gets to Dennis because you see the name of somebody that you really, really care about and you're afraid they're gonna leave. Because they've been your patient for the last 15 years. You know their parents, you know their children, maybe you know their spouse, their brothers and sisters. I mean, it's devastating. And you've been checking in with them for every six months. Right. So that just that's really hard to lose those patients. And that will actually make you not drop an in insurance.
0: So do you let that? Emotional peace dictate, like meaning, let's say everything's cleared out and high level, you realize the percentage is pretty low um, based off of this specific insurance company. And then you go deeper into the numbers and you realize even production wise, it lines up. Um, Somehow it doesn't seem like it's going to be a massive hit to your practice, but now you start seeing the names, which puts a face up and you realize you care about these people. I mean, do you still go forward?
1: This is a business. And it's so hard because we are so close to these people. And you really want to see them every six months and check in and go to coffee with them. (laughs) This is your business and you have got to keep profitable. You have to. Otherwise, the quality of your work will go down. And, And we all know that's the way it seems to work. You try and see more and more and more patients for less and less and less money. And all of a sudden, you've missed things. So you're, you're going to have to do it. It, it stinks, but you're going to have to do it. And maybe they'll stay. You never know.
0: I mean, it also sounds like you just saying that right there. Um, it may be, correct me if I'm wrong, but it also depends on the type of practice you have. I mean, the assumption sounds like most practices are going to want to take time, um, really care about quality outcomes. And that's really what their commitment is to now. Is there a chance I'm wrong? And some dentists actually like producing like a mill and just having that high production, and they need to evaluate it differently
1: and i'm going to say yes, there's all kinds of different practices out there, and you do need to look at what what does your practice look like, and what do you want i mean maybe maybe you really do well running from room to room. There are people that handle that very well with pressure. I'm not one of those people there's I couldn't do that
0: so knowing knowing the way you practice,
1: yeah. And and it sounds like I'm being judgmental, but that's not really true because I know myself, mm-hmm. but I have worked in a practice where, wow, this dentist was amazing. Beautiful work, really fast. I, I don't know how he worked. I mean, he must've had eight shots of coffee every morning, but it was beautiful. That's just not how I'm going to work. And I, I'm going to guess it's not how most of us work, but it's not true to say that's true for everyone.
0: So you look at the numbers and you realize it's not, there's no red flag saying, Hey, look, you can't make this decision But now what? The next day in your practice, you don't just all of a sudden say, okay, we're going to drop this insurance company and everything's fine.
1: If you go back and you have the 50 patients and they all work for Google and they're 25, yes, go in, write the letter, get it over with. It's done.
0: Wow. Okay. Plain and simple. Yeah,
1: because you know. However, if you have the 300 people, then you're going to have to make a big plan for the year. This is going to take you a year to make a change. And back to the employers. So you looked at the employers. Find Call one of these people that you know and ask them if they have an option to have another insurance. Um, I, I had one employer that offered both MetLife and Aetna. And oh gosh, this was 20 years ago. I dropped MetLife. And so they had the option of taking Aetna, but they can only do it once a, a year. So they only can make that decision in December. We're probably too late to make those decisions. But next year... You could definitely have that conversation with everyone that walked into the practice that there's this other option and I'm contracted with the other one.
0: So in case our listeners don't know, which I don't know why they would unless they're reading your bio. And even then they probably wouldn't find out. uh, It sounds like you have some experience doing this, which is why you kind of understand the roadmap. Um, It sounds like, again, you've gone through this before.
1: Yes. I mean,
0: I mean, is this common for most dentists that it's like they're constantly having to evaluate whether they need to drop carriers or not?
1: I think that you should be. Okay. I think you constantly need to reevaluate your business and figure out which procedures are you doing, which are you good at? What do you need to learn? Um, who are Who is your patient base? Are they people that like you? <laughs> are they insurance companies that pay you appropriately for what you do? And yeah, I think that's an ever-evolving the way I practice today is probably not the way I practiced eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So maybe that needed to change. So I don't think it's just like today we've decided we're going to make a change. It, it should be like in every year you really evaluate.
0: So right off the bat, we're saying don't make an emotional decision. Uh, it, it's very irritating when you get news from any insurance company that fees are going to get reduced, especially when it seems like the margins are already so tight.
1: Well, I, I think it's so much about being devalued and there's so many places where we being, we as doctors are being devalued that this is just another place where we're hurt and there's a big emotional response, but don't cut off your nose to spite your face, (laughs) you know, run your numbers, see what you're going to do. There's, there's a lot of options to drop this insurance if you want to, or you may decide that that's not what you need to do and you need to treat it differently. Maybe you need to bring another person into the practice. Maybe you need an associate. And that's certainly an option. You know, the the only option doesn't have to be that you drop an insurance. It just means that you look at your business.
0: So on the surface level, if I'm contracted with a certain insurance and I know they're going to bring me, let's say, I don't know, 50 new patients a year. Well, I mean, isn't that a no-brainer? Don't I just want to take 50 new patients a year? No. (laughs) Well, I guess at that level, you wouldn't know, right? Because you need to dig a little deeper. Because if with that insurance company, those 50 new patients, you're actually maybe barely breaking even, or if you're operating at a loss, well, then you're spending time on patients where you're losing money instead of being able to service patients that are actually profitable, right? So
1: if we move to even a higher level, I don't want to see 100 new patients a month. And the reason I don't is because they won't like me. And I want patients that are going to stay with me, where I can do... Quality work, they're with me for a long time. I have a relationship with them. They refer other people. If I see a hundred new patients, there's a good chance that a portion of them are not gonna like me, that we just don't gel. And and that's okay. There's lots of dentists out there, but I want people that walk into my practice that will like me. So I don't necessarily want to contract with an insurance that works for a certain employer where not one of those people are gonna like me. (laughs) You know, you have to think about those things.
0: Wow. I mean, I didn't, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that, but um, that's why when you were saying, find out like who they are, you know, again, what is that employer um, predominantly having 20 year olds uh, or a certain, again, generation that you don't typically relate to? Maybe, yeah, maybe that's not a good fit.
1: It's not even that they don't relate. It's that um, they're, they don't become long-term patients because they're at a period of transition in their life. So they're not going to work there for a long period of time. They're going to move. We're not going to build a lifelong relationship. So even if they, all these 50 of these patients are here, they may not be in two years. So that's something to consider. Whereas if they all work at Boeing and they're 45 and they have families and their kids come to me, then that's a different relationship. We've been. They're probably going to be with me for a long time. I've nurtured that relationship. But that doesn't mean that you don't want to treat 20-year-olds. I have a bunch sure. of 20-year-olds in my practice. They're fun. I love them. But they're not consistent.
0: No, that makes sense. It's like, um, even if you think of some of the top 100 companies to work for, you know, you think of companies like Wegmans or like even Costco. You know, every time I'm checking out at Costco, I look over at the badge of the person checking me out. And you don't know how many times I see um, employees since like nineteen like seventy nine or something. And I always have to let them know, hey, you're actually older like you've been working with Costco longer than I've been alive, but it's because. <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> hey, news slash. But, but the reality is like, there's some employers where when you're part of that company, they just keep you for life. So I can understand why those are probably uh, more stable, Um, you know, depending on, again, just the insurance company. If some of the mix of their, um, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I
1: know what you're trying to say. If you're building a business, you want loyal customers. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's true with any business. You want loyal customers that are going to rave about you and send more people. And that's a hard thing to do in certain demographics. And it's true that you're just not going to appeal to everyone. No no doctor does. And that's okay.
0: So when it comes to this evaluation, um, is our job done? We've looked at it. Let's say it's clear that it is like 20% to 25% and something needs to be done. You said a year. What what, what does that mean looking at it over a year?
1: So when I make the decision to drop an insurance company, I do several things. Um, The first thing I always do is I call the insurance company and try and negotiate and see if they will raise their fees. Now, some insurance companies won't even discuss this, but some insurance companies are very willing to discuss things. And I've had good luck there. The second thing I do, once I've decided, all right, this has got to go, I make a plan to do it in a year. And every time, I mark everyone that has that insurance. So I flag them. And then I just talk to them. I ask them if they have other options. Um, I tell them that I'm considering this and what the impact would be financially to them. So that's, again, some math you should do. And it's not very difficult. Um, let's go back to the MetLife because that was an easy one for me because I had so few patients way back then. Yeah. <laughs> um, in network, my patient didn't have to pay anything for a cleaning. It was totally covered. But out of network, that sounded so scary for them. It was $10. They had to pay me $10. So that wasn't a huge financial risk for them. Sure. Um, when I looked at Crown, and this, again, this is a long time ago, <laughs> it was a $50 increase. So, again, it just wasn't a huge financial problem for them.
0: but it, but, if you would have sent them a letter saying, "We're dropping your insurance right off the bat, they're not reading the fine print. They're not looking, well, what is the out-of network cost?" And they might just panic and go, "Oh, I, I can't see Dr. House anymore,
1: and that's their first thought. I can't see them anymore because you haven't told them what this means, right. So you've got to be clear as what well what this means to them.
0: I think that's important that you said clear because um anytime there's confusion, Confusion generally generally just leads someone uh, away from you. (laughs) Like if they're confused about what's going on, and it sounds like the nature of the relationship has changed, and after everything you're saying, they really don't get it. They're probably just going to be like, "Uh, "They don't accept my insurance anymore. I didn't track everything, but I probably need to find someone else." So it's like being able to communicate clearly. Like this isn't the end of the world. Um, It's not as scary as you think. I think that's amazing. So for anyone listening, like please do that. Like unpack it like what Allison is saying, um, and be able to make sure you can have really clear conversations with your patients.
1: Because that will encourage them to stay with you. And then have your team back you up. You know, um, my team is wonderful. So they'll say things like, Dr. House really cares about you. She really wants to continue this relationship. You know, she's taking great care of you. Um, and she's a really great dentist. And when they say those things, your patients are more apt to stay.
0: So what do you tell them about why, why the shift's coming? Like, why is it that you're no longer, or why is it they're even considering dropping an insurance company, the reason to the patient? Like, are you going to say, oh, I just don't like insurance company X anymore?
1: Well, patients have this idea that when I charge them $1,000 for something, that I've taken their $1,000 and stuck it in my back pocket and went home. <laughs> and obviously that's not true. Right. So they they don't have a good understanding of what is going into every procedure. So I have my team talk about it. But I have my team talk about it all the time. It's not just about this particular
0: issue. So you're always educating your patient.
1: You always educate your patients about, well, Dr. House doesn't like that material. She likes this material because of this. And she's gone for a week because she's not on vacation laying on the beach. She went to another continuing education so that she can learn to do this procedure better. Or she's hired a new lab or... She's implementing this new, whatever it is. But so they constantly know that I'm growing and trying to be the best person for them.
0: So, so much of that is your brand. Um, And it makes sense. If you're like committed to excellence, you're wanting to let your patients know, like based off of this commitment to the materials, to uh, just how involved we want to be, you're going to have to compromise your care because these fees keep getting reduced. And that isn't something that you're willing to do. Right. So, since you don't want to settle on uh, inferior care, you know, it's just a decision you had to make if you still want to be able to just stay with that standard.
1: But again, you can't just say she uses the best materials. You know, it has to be very personal for them. You know, she wants to see you on time, she doesn't overbook, okay. whatever it is that makes you unique. And then if the patient leaves, which may happen, they'll go somewhere else and maybe they won't find the same standard. If they go to some place that is, is just unable to manage the standard that you had. So then they'll be back. And if they come back, they're patients for life, which is wonderful.
0: I mean, what can someone expect, um, you know, if it's successfully done? You know, is 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 it realistic to think that they're going to lose all but 10% or all but 20% of their patients?
1: You know, I think a lot of it is how you've handled it. Um, That year preparation makes a big difference because a good percentage of my patients were able to change to a different insurance and that helped a lot.
0: So you're giving them time.
1: I gave them time. Yeah, Yeah. this is coming. This is what I'm thinking um, and I I want you you to keep you as a patient. So how can I make this happen?
0: So you're coming up with a plan of how to communicate with the patient and then also giving them options so that they can start preparing for when that transition date is.
1: And then you give your 30 days at the end of a year. And then, yes, you're going to lose a big percentage of patients. Not forever. But, yeah, I lost a big percentage of patients, but most of them came back.
0: Okay, so I'm a dentist right now, and I've never done this before, and I'm a little scared. Um, what would you say to me?
1: Well, you got to know your numbers. Know, know what you're getting into. And if you really feel like... It's impossible for me to keep this insurance and maintain the quality that I need to maintain for the next year. My margin is that thin right now. Well, then you need to look at some marketing. How can you market to people to get your practice to grow in other ways? So you don't want your practice to grow with this particular insurance. You're not gonna market to that group. You're gonna market this to another group. So if you've dropped assurance and you've decided you're gonna keep MetLife, so you're gonna market to employers that have MetLife, you know? Lots and lots of marketing to them. Or you're going to market to people who need specific procedures that are not covered by insurance. But you're going to have to beef up your marketing in some way.
0: Yeah. To offset.
1: To offset the loss. Yeah. And it, it always sounds so funny to say all this, but it the reality is that we are a business just like any other business. And if you can't pay your rent or your employees or yourself, you can't stay in business.
0: Everybody loses.
1: Everybody loses. And your patients really lose too.
0: Right. So... The 80% or so of your patients right now that aren't part of this specific insurance company, it's like you don't want to make a decision that's going to harm them. Even though it sounds like, well, they're not the ones that accept or that have this insurance. Yeah, but if cutting off that 20%, which hypothetically, let's say, was 40% of your production, well, it could make it really difficult for you to serve the other 80% because you made a decision that you didn't think through, uh, you didn't do your research, and now... Everyone's in pain, you know everyone's feeling that kind of strain, and that's what we're not wanting people to do. We're not wanting people to make decisions uh, that that aren't informed. you know, as long as your decision's an informed decision and you're doing your research and you know your numbers, uh, I think that will kind of take a lot of the the fear out of it
1: and you're thinking about who you are and what your brand is because I think that marketing piece is really important that you're marketing to people. That will, that will like who you are and what you're offering. So you you want to attract those patients and, and that's going to be a big piece of it. If you're, if you're getting rid of a certain component of your practice, you have to fill in the gaps.
0: So is the main thing to look at, um, the other, is it, is it based off of you do a report on, um, procedures that again, you're, are very profitable for you and just try and put that into your messaging, try to put that more into your marketing, Or like you're saying, you actually direct it toward employers that carry a certain insurance.
1: All of those are effective. Okay. You just have to decide which one you want to use.
0: Okay. Is there anything you want to talk to um, that just maybe validates what people are feeling?
1: That devalued feeling. That letter was very devaluing. And and I think that we we get that so much. You know, the Yelp reviews where someone will give us a one-star review because our front desk wasn't nice to them is just so devaluing because it didn't say anything about my margins. (laughs) It didn't say anything about the quality of the work I did. And that's really hard for us. And I think that comes in a lot of different directions that devaluing. So you have to decide that this business is important and you kind of have to think yourself as maybe Nordstrom's or Google or whoever you want to think of as, I really want to deliver a quality product. And it's okay if it costs a little more than Walmart because that's not the one I wanted to deliver.
0: And you're worth it.
1: And you're worth it. Your training is worth it. The message that we want people to understand is that you can practice in all different ways and you can practice to all different types of practices, types of patients, depending on who you are and what's important to you. You want to be intentional. And if you're going to practice in a very high level with very patient-centered You're going to have to charge appropriately for that. If you're going to practice in a way that you're really running very fast and you're doing things very quickly, then you're going to have to have your practice set up for that. Either way, you can't get caught in the middle. You've got to practice in the way that you have intentionally set out and the fees that are intentional.
0: I mean, if I think of like servers at a restaurant, uh, not a lot of people can do in and out. You know, even in the application, when I was in college, I applied. And they pretty much keep cautioning you. Like, this is not for everybody because you are constantly on your feet, um, moving at a crazy pace. Their processes and systems are just perfect. But you know what? So many people work it in and out. They do a great job. They have a smile on their face and they are fulfilled.
1: I I worked at Denny's all the way through college and I loved it, but it was high pace. I mean, I ran the whole time. It was fun. I made a lot of money but I was exhausted at the end and I didn't get to do complex things. You know, I never learned anything about wine at Denny's. <laughs> I got you your hash browns. Maybe you got some coffee. If you work at Fleming's, you probably have to do some different things. You have to learn about some wine. You have to know some pairings. It's just a different business model completely, but there's a place for Fleming's and there's a place for Denny's. Absolutely. So if You've listened to this podcast and you've really been thinking about if you needed to drop an insurance, I am happy to walk you through. Sean is happy to walk you through. Please look at our coaching and i am we can talk about this and pull some reports and look at what your practice is.
0: Thank you for listening to the Authentic Dentist podcast. To join Allison and Sean on this journey, hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Here's to your success. Express yourself fully. Live authentic.